0: Well, this is Easter Sunday, uh, and we're so excited to celebrate the death, burial, and especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. And uh, I want to look at the resurrection experience a little differently this morning than maybe what we typically would look at on uh, Resurrection Sunday. You know, when you look at the life of Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, Jesus was from Nazareth, and he came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again, and then he went to heaven. In the world, sometimes people would say, like, uh, I don't know, there, there must have been someone named Jesus, because uh, there's so much history about him. There's so many uh, people that believe in him. And in the church, we sort of take it for granted. Uh, when you're around the things of the church, you take the Easter story for granted, the resurrection story for granted. And uh, so I want to talk real quick You know, we look at the earth walk of Jesus Christ, and no man ever lived like he did. And even as we learn in the Gospels, uh, no man ever spoke like he did because he spoke not like the Pharisees spoke, but he spoke as one with authority. In other words, he, uh, not only one that was in a position that he could speak and things would happen, but he spoke as one that was the creator. Because actually Jesus Christ himself is the creator of all things, as we'll uh, read later this morning. So Jesus spoke from a position of authority that was not only conferred upon him, not only a position that he fulfilled, but also because of what he did. Even before he went to the cross. Because Jesus was the creator of all things. So in the earth walk of Jesus, we see the best model, the best example that we could ever see of what a man filled with the life of God is supposed to be like, or a woman filled with the life of God is supposed to be like, we see the best example possible of someone, I was actually thinking this morning about it, when you think of the power of God that showed up on the situation when Jesus arrived, it goes beyond your mind, it's mind-blowing. It goes beyond what we could think, what we could imagine, what we could come up with. Because you or I, if we go to minister today, we can rely upon, you know, there's something called a corporate faith. So those of you uh, that are here today, if you're a believer, you actually bring or you have the ability to bring a supply of the Spirit of God. That you not pull on a man or a woman, but you pull on the Spirit of God. And you say, okay, Lord, I have come, and I have come to hear from you. I didn't come to hear from Pastor Tim. You may use his lips and use his vocal cords, but I came to meet with you. I came to hear from you. And so each of you that are born again, if you're born again, you actually have a supply of the Spirit. And you can draw on the anointing of the Spirit of God and cause things to happen in a service that really couldn't happen individually. So there is a corporate anointing. You can sit at home and you can worship God and it can be you and God and you can receive things from God and there's a very personal uh, experience that takes place. But there are things that cannot happen until you come together, you assemble together. When we assemble together, it's the study of uh, the ecclesia, the study of the assembly of God, which we're actually going to do a series on that probably starting next week. But when you come together, there's a corporate anointing. Jesus didn't have that. Everyone Jesus was ministering to was lost and on their way to hell. Everyone Jesus was ministering to needed help. So he only had the help of the Holy Spirit in him. And the Holy Spirit could only be in him, in one man. That's why he had to come and and die uh, and rise again. And then we see Jesus in the garden. And Jesus in the garden, when he goes to the garden, he actually experiences death before his physical body experiences death. It actually says that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Uh, because of what he was to experience so you know for all of you planners out there you know Jesus thought ahead and Jesus was a planner and Jesus knew what was going to happen to him he knew what he was going to do well Jesus came he lived he died he was buried and he rose again we see him on the cross and everything that happened on the cross and we then as he died we see the veil was rent from top to bottom Because the presence of God at that time was stored up or held up in a temple that was made by men and women, made by the hands of mankind. And in that temple dwelt the presence of the God, and you or I couldn't go in there. Only the high priest could go in, and that only once a year. And tradition tells us that they actually tied a rope to his legs so that if he had sin in his life or didn't perform the duties correctly, they could pull him out uh, without having to go in themselves and die if he fell dead doing his duties. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil, which they say was about a foot thick, um, was ripped from top to bottom in half, declaring that the presence of God now is let out of the temple and come to dwell inside of you and inside of me. And then he was uh, in the earth three days and three nights. He went to hell and conquered all of hell, and then he rose again. So I want to pick up the story uh, when he's... uh, in um, the Mount of Olives, in John chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. So we've, I've done just a quick little summary of the resurrection, the period of uh, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and then his resurrection. And I want to focus in on today. When Jesus died, he didn't do that for himself. So Jesus was not just someone that came to live and to live a life. And then to die so that he could gain some better position with God or so that he could get a better position himself. Everything he did, he did for you and he did for me. To place us in a new position and uh, having a new ability. And, uh, but I want to illustrate that. John chapter 18 verses, uh, we'll start I think with verse, well let me just read it here and then we'll start with verse 1. John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Keldron, where was a garden in which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted there with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. And I'll pause there for just a second. Um, Judas, having received a band of men. So Judas is there. You know, He sold out. For 30 pieces of silver, he sold out Jesus. Um, the cost on the, on the, of the life of the Son of God. But it says that he received from the priests and the Pharisees a band of men. Um, and then you, you can look... In Matthew, it says a great multitude. Mark, it says a great multitude. And in Luke, it says an enormous amount of people came. And so this company of soldiers that the chief priests uh, and the elders gave to him was anywhere, uh, they say, from 300 to 600 soldiers, especially trained soldiers. They actually lived in a tower near the... Um, <clears throat> near the city of Jerusalem, near the temple. And they believed that they had special access even to get into the Holy of Holies if somebody came to attack and try to steal things in the Holy of Holies, uh, that they had special access. These were specially trained men and these had, they had the best weapons that you could possibly have and so that in a moment's notice, they could go from their place where they were stationed, rush anywhere into the temple, anywhere into that place of the city and be able to uh, gain victory. So they sent three to 600 of these people but then they also sent the officers of the temple. Who's ever been to the Vatican? Uh, yeah, a couple people. I, I was to the Vatican in the mid-90s. And you know, like, the Vatican actually is its own country. And they have their own um, military and their own police force. And so you'll see, like, you had the military, these three to 600 soldiers. But then you also had the officers of the temple which were there also to protect the temple and everything that went on with the temple. So they came, also with the chief priests and the elders, and they all came. And so when Matthew describes this, he says it was a great multitude. When Mark describes it, he says this was a great multitude. When Luke describes it, he says it was an enormous amount of people. So they came across this creek, across this brook, to get Jesus. Well, Jesus is one man. He had 12 disciples, but he's one man, and, um, you know... I think he was tough, but I don't know that he don't really think he was trained in the latest military tactics and had the latest military tools and technology um, uh, like the IDF had. And so uh, they come. Why do you think they brought so many people? Do You think Judas might have told them? Because, you know, even John said, even the books, the world could not contain all of the books of the miracles and things that Jesus did. The world itself couldn't contain them, I suppose, he said. And so Judas... Uh, even hadn't betrayed him, he had lived with Jesus and walked with Jesus and saw the miracles that Jesus did. So remember, Jesus like raised the dead. He cleansed the leper. No matter what the disease was, he healed the disease. He even walked on water. And so as men and women think, even as the disciples themselves thought, the ones that didn't betray him, uh, you know, Peter cut off Malchus's ear here, which we can read in just a second. Uh, But they didn't understand this was his time. They didn't understand he's supposed to go. So who knows what Jesus is going to do? Because uh, we can tell this man has power that's out of this world. This man has power that's not of himself. This man has authority like we've never heard. When he speaks, things happen. We've seen other people speak. We've seen other people do things. We've seen the Pharisees day in and day out, month in and month out, year in and year out. They'll say all of these things, but they don't come to pass. Uh, It can be sort of like empty words. So verse 3, Judas, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came thither with the lanterns and torches and the weapons. Jesus, verse 4, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said, Who do you seek? And they answered him and said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And also Jesus, who betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said this unto them, uh, I am he, They went backward and fell to the ground. And the New Living Translation says, And Jesus said, I am he. They all drew back and fell to the ground. And so you've got this enormous, great multitude of people that came to get Jesus because this guy, you know, has supernatural, something beyond what we can understand, power. And he just said, I am. And immediately... Not only did they fall down, but they went backwards and fell down. You know, I've been, actually, I've been in some services where the anointing was so strong that it actually threw you backwards. And um, so, you know, Jesus is knowing his hour has come. He's already been through the garden. And he knows this is coming, but as soon as he spoke, I am. The amount of power in his voice and the amount of authority that he had actually threw them back. So, if anybody had a question or if the devil tried to bring a question to your mind or uh, someone else's mind, whether Jesus did this of his own accord, willingly, I think you could look at this one verse and see, without even reading the verse that said, uh, where Jesus said, No man takes my life from me, I willingly give it up. So we look at the life of Jesus Christ, and it wasn't just something that he was doing for himself. It actually wasn't for himself, except for the fact that God had planned in the beginning a family, and God was cut to the heart that that family had been separated. So when he created Adam and Eve, he wanted fellowship. He wanted closeness. He wanted intimacy. And when they sinned, and uh, God gave them authority over the earth and everything that moves on the earth... But they listened to the devil instead of listening to God. So they broke that fellowship. Uh, God said, in the day that you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And so the devil said, well, you're, you're, he's lying. You surely won't die in the day that you do that. Well, what happened? They were separated from God. Spiritual death is really separation from God. And so the day that they ate it, they were separated from God. And then they knew their nakedness. And they knew that they had sinned. And they knew that they had missed it. But they actually, Adam as the firstborn of all creation, he actually uh, messed it up for all of us because he was the type of all of us and then in him and his seed came sin for all of us. So let's look at that real quick. In Romans chapter 5, uh, and let's start with uh, verse 8 and we'll read through verse 21. Romans chapter 5 but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners Christ died for us much more than having been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath from wrath through him that's through Jesus for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son I, you, you cannot underestimate the power of the resurrection message. While we were enemies, while we were fighting against God, while we were sinners, Romans chapter 3 said, Christ died for us. So while you were your worst, and any moment that you're at your worst, the blood of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the life of Christ, the death of Christ, is right there waiting for you to receive and waiting for you to accept. Verse 10 For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, made right with God, considered to be right with God, declared by God himself through the death of Jesus to be right with God. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not that only, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received that reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, that's through Adam, and death through sin, so that's where that death came, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. Are you getting this? It's the type of him that was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. So the free gift is not like Adam's mistake, you could say. For if by one man's offense or mistake, many died, actually all died. Much more, the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from uh, many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's awesome that one man messed it up, but one man, not even through an offense, but through grace, could fix it for all of us. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, act, the free gift, came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous." I'll just do like a little side, very short side journey right there. It's amazing the power of one, the difference that you can make. I was working at, on staff at Rhema one time, and I don't remember what I was uh, not happy about, but I was uh, frustrated or upset about something. I remember exactly where I was walking, and, um, you know, uh, uh, people live in flesh bodies, too, and uh, you kind of like get disappointed in people, and, you know, I get disappointed in myself sometimes, <laughs> so... Um, I was walking and the Lord spoke into my heart and he said, how much difference could one person make though? And I thought, my Lord, you're right. Look at Jesus, the difference that he made. Well, how much difference can you make in your situation? How much difference can you make uh, where you work? How much difference can you make in your family? How much difference can you make in your own life? How much difference could you make in your country, in the political world? How much difference could you make? Uh, do, you, do you sit there? Do I sit there? Do we sit there and complain and talk but not pray? I think one of the things when you have difficulties in relationship, even if it's with your politicians, right? Because uh, you could say, like, uh, politics is kind of crazy right now or it looks kind of crazy. But uh, before you go talk to somebody that you have a problem with, maybe you should spend or I should spend some time on our knees bringing them up before the Lord. Even our politicians, even if, you know, you may not know them personally, you may not personally go to them. But before you're going to, like, kind of spout off and say all this stuff, let's bring it to the Lord. Let's bring them before the Lord because it's the easiest thing for you or for me to criticize someone or a country, especially like a group of leaders, uh, but never to pray. And so I have found personally, when I spend time in heartfelt prayer for people, it's actually very difficult to talk about them badly because you actually start, you tap into the presence of God. And, you know, God sees them and he sees you and he sees me even if they're not born again because we just read that we've been reconciled to God. God sees them in Christ. So he actually sees them living for the Lord. He sees them doing the right thing. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that God has made us ministers of reconciliation. In other words, our job is to go and tell people, God's not mad at you. He loved you. He actually loved you so much. He sent Jesus Christ to die for you so that you could have life. The reason you're not experiencing it now is you have to receive that. You have to receive him. He's not a bully. He's not a demon. He's not a devil. He's not going to force you. He's a perfect gentleman. He will receive you when you receive him, um, and you'll be changed. So verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. God always has something to say back to the devil, so you should always have something to say back to the devil. So where sin abounded, you could say, yeah, sin abounded, I really messed up in that one, but grace abounded much more. So the grace actually goes more than my sin, and so devil, I'm not trying to live this life myself anyhow. Actually, it's maybe a little fortunate that I did mess up, because I was trying to do it myself, and that lets me know I was doing it myself. I don't want to live with my ability, I want to live with his ability, because faith is what pleases God. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it's impossible to Please, God. You understand that means that God would not make a plan for your life or my life that did not require faith. Because God's not going to set you up to fail. God's not going to set you up to displease Him. He wants you to please Him. And the way that we please Him is to live by faith and to walk by faith. Actually, the way that we get beyond uh, the natural world, the natural world system, that actually the, the Bible in Ephesians says that the, Satan is the god of this world because of what we talked about, that Adam sold out to him. So he is controlling this world system. The way we get beyond that is by faith. We, you know, I look at, one way I look at faith, many ways you can look at faith. I look at faith as like I latch on to God with something that I will never release. And I'm holding on to him. And I don't care what storm comes. I don't care what happens. I'm holding on to Jesus because he is the author and the finisher of my faith. He gave me the measure of faith. And so when I stand with him and when I hold on to him and listen to him, I can't go down. Everything around me might go down, but he's not going down. And when we stand on his word through faith in him and faith in his word, you won't go down either. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more. So then as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as sin reigned in death, so Adam died spiritually, sin reigned. Even so, that means, what does that mean? Sin was in charge. Sin called the shots. Actually, Paul said he was a slave to sin before. Actually, uh, you know, we talked, I think, last week that the law was actually a taskmaster that brought us to Christ. So, what does that mean? You you know, you're a slave to, well, a slave to sin, uh, you know, what's, I don't know who said it, but sin takes you further than you wanted to go and made you stay longer than what you wanted to stay. And sin will reign over you if you're not a Christian or if you're a Christian and you don't know your rights and privileges. Sin will actually call the shots. So, it'll hold you. You can think of, I can think of like a a drug addiction where you have like, gotten involved in this, and it has power over you. How many people have you known or heard of that were addicted to drugs, and they wanted to be free, but they couldn't get free? Sin will actually hold you and keep you. The law, then, is a taskmaster that brings us to Christ. What does that mean? Well, one of the things that means is that without the law, you wouldn't have known that you sinned, because there's no standard. So now, then... um, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, but when Moses came, the law came. So now we actually know, ooh, that's a sin to covet. That's a sin to murder. That's a sin to steal. So now we actually know that. Well, but we learn, uh, I think it's over in James, you know, if you keep the whole law but offend in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. So it feels like we're in a hopeless position. Like there's no hope. Uh, Why should we even try? Because if you do just one little thing... Against the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. And if you've ever tried to do things in yourself, uh, even if you didn't have uh, uh, those scriptures that I just said, you can find out real quickly that uh, you make mistakes and you mess up. And sometimes you intend to sin. Hopefully that's not very often. But sometimes you don't intend to sin and you just mess up. But the law was to show us that. The law was to show us you can't do it. You need an outside force to come inside of you, and that is Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ. And actually, when you're born again, you get and I get the life of God and the nature of God. And God is love. And so we actually get then the, the ability, the tools. We become the new creature in Christ Jesus so that we can actually do it, because without him, we couldn't do it. And that's what the law was there to show us. 2 Corinthians uh, 4.14 says, uh, we're gonna read through verse 21, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. One of my most favorite passages in the Bible, that if we judge this, one died, and he didn't die for himself, he died for everyone. Well then if he died, Then we that live should live for him who rose again. In other words, uh, the way I like to say it is he took our death so we could take his life. So he died in our place so we could live in his place. And um, let me just continue reading there. Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one after the flesh. That, and I'll add, that includes yourself. Don't regard yourself after the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we don't know him this way any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. I think Amplified says, was personally present In Christ, God was personally present in Christ uh, and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciled the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That means God sees that you messed up, he knows that you messed up, but it doesn't go to your account. You know, reconciliation is an accounting term. So if you're gonna reconcile your bank account, I spent this much, I had this much coming in, what's my deficit? Well, the spent this much... For your sins, God doesn't even account that. He's saying, that's not to your account. I'm actually going to account what Christ did for you and what Christ did for me. Glory to God, that's good news. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That means we're supposed to tell people about it. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he Him made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus who knew no sin, who did not sin, to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I like how E.W. Kenyon says righteousness is simply the ability to stand in the presence of God without a sense of sin or guilt or condemnation. In other words, you can come as if you did nothing wrong, as if you didn't mess up. And I don't know about you, but I've had times where I messed up and I thought I shouldn't even pray right now because you feel unclean and you feel like I shouldn't even go into the presence of God right now. But Jesus took our sin on himself and actually became that sin so that we could take everything that's right about God in him, the righteousness of God in him and his ability to go into the presence of God without drawing back, without a sense of unbelonging, actually with a place of belonging, a sense of belonging and knowing that you're supposed to be there. Colossians 1.18 says uh, in the NIV, "...and he is the head of the body the church." He is the beginning, the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So Jesus, actually, we can also read uh, in the other Gospels that he's the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. So Jesus is the first one. He's the one that went before us and paved the way, made the pathway, so that we could live this new creation life. So when he died uh, and went uh, to hell Gain victory over the devil and and demons. We learn in Colossians chapter 2, I think it's verse 15, that he actually paraded the devil and demons out in front of everybody like you would an old triumphal victory parade where you'd actually have uh, the people that you conquered. Sometimes they'd strip them naked. Some translations actually say that he stripped them naked. Um, And they'd have them in chains. And they would march through the city and say, this is my triumph. And so he did that with all of the powers of darkness, all the powers of the devil. And he said, look, I got this great victory. But if we just stop there and say, that's awesome, Jesus. You got that great victory. Look what you did. He said, I did it and I did it for you. I did it so you didn't have to come under their power and under their dominion, but so that they could actually be under your feet. And then the Bible says that we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, far above all of those. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, we're seated up in heavenly places with him. So that when we see the open grave, we see the grave site where Jesus was, you can actually go there and look at it now. I haven't been to Israel yet, but I'm going to go real soon with my wife. Um, But you can go there. So you can go there on the internet if you haven't been there. So I go there on the internet. (laughs) Uh, The internet's a wonderful thing. You can can go a lot of places. You can get a video tour. You can get still pictures. You can do, you know, lots of different things. But I think it's probably still different to actually be there. Um, But you look. The devil is a liar. And the devil is a thief, and the devil is a deceiver, and the devil is the father of lies. So every lie comes from him, every untruth comes from him, every deception comes from him, and he wants to deceive you and he wants to lie to you. And one of the ways that he lied uh, through the years, I read this the other day and I just have to mention it because it just blessed my socks off, and that is the devil for years held women as slaves and as lower class people and lower class citizens and the women were to serve the men and the women were to do whatever. The men said, and if the men got dissatisfied with them, he could turn her out and get a new wife. And in some religions, they'll cut your head off. And you know, women were subservient. Well, you realize that for all the things that they'll say about Jesus Christ in the Bible, that Jesus is the one that made men and women equal. All men and women are equal in Christ Jesus, we learn. That Jesus is the one that actually made, there's no difference between slave and master, bond and free. Jesus was the great equalizing power. Jesus said, I came for all men. I didn't just come for male men or female men, mankind. I came for men. I came for women. I came for boys. Let the children come unto me. Little girls, let the children come unto me. I came for uh, Every race, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So Jesus, when he rose from the grave, when you go look at the empty tomb, you realize that empty tomb signifies, if you're a lady, that signifies your equality. If you're um, white, that signifies your equality. If you're uh, black, if you're Hispanic, if you're Asian, no matter what, Jesus put us all as one. Jesus doesn't love you or me more than he loves you or me. Jesus is the great um, lover and the great equalizer and the great, what do you call it? Non racist. I mean, that's a double negative, right? But some people try to claim, like, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, or whatever, and you realize the devil will deceive and actually puts a thing off on Christ, like, oh, you know, because Paul talked about women having their head covered, that, you know, he was against women. You know, we're not even going to get into that right now. But um, that's just a bunch of different interpretation. And, you know, Paul, since I mentioned that, I should say this. If you look at the original Greek, Paul was actually talking about husband-wife, not male-female. And so you have to have a head of something. Brother Hagan always said, I love how he said it, he said, anything with two heads is a freak. And I know of a church where they actually had two worship leaders, and they made them co-equal, and it was a freaky thing. And so because they would argue, and then half the worship team sided with one, half the worship team sided with the other. So in a family, you have to have a head of the family. And God said, because Adam was created first, and Eve sinned, man is the head of the family. Um... But I don't want to go down that route because that's not what we're talking about today. But because I said it, I had to say that. Why? Because the devil will take some little thing and he's going to try. You know, we think like the devil's going to say like evil words and evil things like you should hate that person. Well, you may have an unction to do that from your flesh or from a demon power. But the devil actually uses the word of God to trap you. That's what he tried to do with Jesus. And what do you do? You use the word back to him. Praise God. So Jesus set us free, and Jesus made a way uh, so that no matter who you are or where you came from, no matter what happened to you, he annihilated all the power of the devil and all the power of the enemy so that we can be in Christ and we can live the life of Christ and walk in the authority of Christ. But we have to acknowledge that, that we're seated far above all principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. He actually set us free. He set us free from the fear of circumstances so that we can say like, I mean, I remember when I first, uh, I was born again at about four years old, I think it was actually, it was in April, and my older brother um, we got home. I remember sitting in the bedroom. My brother said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ? And I said, well, yes, I would. And so we prayed together. My parents didn't know about it for like nine months or a year. And they're like, you know, Tim, would you like to receive Jesus sometime? I said, well, I already have. They said, what? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I prayed with Greg. And um, I said, "What? well, when was that? You know, so we always try to set the date because I was, I, was, I was pretty young. And uh, I grew up in a denominational church, and I did not understand uh, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit still exist today and are alive today. And in God's working today just like He worked then, and He didn't give them just for the initial inception of the church, but He gave them uh, till we all come to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the fullness of the Son of God. We all basically are perfected in him. Who's perfected in him already? Well, I'm not, and so uh, you're not. So I assume those gifts are still there, and I know they are because I've experienced them myself and through the lives of other people. And I didn't understand about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then uh, when I was about 19 years old, I got filled with the Holy Ghost uh, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, and my life changed. The first thing changed in my life was I got a whole new Bible, I didn't go out and buy a new Bible. I had the exact same physical Bible. But I Bible quizzed in that denominational church. I would go all over uh, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, that general area. And we even came to New York City for nationals one time. Not New York City, but Niagara Falls, New York for nationals. But I studied the Word of God, and I memorized the Word of God so that I could do good in Bible quizzing. Well, I got filled with the Holy Ghost, and I looked at my Bible, and I read those same scriptures. And I remember I looked, and I looked again, and I looked again like three or four times. And I said, I have never seen that before. How? And I memorized that. I knew I had it memorized, but I had never seen it because the light came when the, when the Holy Spirit in his fullness came. When I was born again, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in me, but I didn't have him in his fullness. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I received the Holy Spirit in his fullness, and my Bible became brand new. And I got to read a brand new Bible. And I can, I can still remember to this day, and I still actually this week I was studying a passage in Romans that I had uh, studied it's um, We actually made up a wrap. I think I might have said it for you before, but it's Romans 6.13, and I'm not going to fully wrap it, but it says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Romans 6.13, okay. So <laughs> we would do that. Well, I was reading that passage this week, and I read the passage, and I looked, and then I was like, "Whoa." That's a good passage of Scripture. I like that. And then I looked at it again, and I said, that's that verse that I memorized that we made a rap to. So it's still happening yet today. The Holy Spirit brings light. The Holy Spirit brings understanding. Actually, the Holy Spirit is called, Jesus called him the spirit of reality, meaning he's the one that's going to take, and he even said it this way, he's going to take the things of Christ and make it real to you. So it should never be like a theological approach or a mental approach to God, or you know, like I memorized it that way. That's fine. That's good because I still have that. I can still do that. Um, but it should be a heart approach, so that we actually receive from Him. Uh, you know, when you minister to somebody, the best way to minister to somebody is not uh, mental to mental. It's actually spirit to spirit, because uh, God's a spirit, and He's going to minister to people in their spirits. So. I found out, though, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit uh, that I got on fire for God like I'd never been on fire before. I can remember praying. I was a great one to pray, and I, I still pray, obviously. <laughs> and um, But I would go, before I was filled with the Spirit, I would go... Be- uh, uh, at the beginning of the service early on Sunday mornings and I would go into the sanctuary and I would pray and I would pray my heart out but I would get to a point where I couldn't I just couldn't articulate it. there was something that was still there that I couldn't get out and it was frustrating to me and I would pray and pray and pray and I would fast and pray and I still couldn't and I didn't understand what it was until I was filled with the Holy Spirit and then it's like oh like this great freedom Um, you know, thank God for uh, speaking in other tongues and praying in other tongues and the great freedom that we have. But when we see the tomb is empty... We don't have to fear circumstances. We don't have to dread old age. We don't have to shrink back because we look at ourselves after the natural and think that we're weak when someone strong comes in because the greater one lives inside of us. Greater is he that's in the, uh, you than he that's in the world. Be strong not in yourself, but be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So when I was baptized in the Holy Ghost, started to get revelation and understanding, it was brand new to me that I didn't have to fear dying from Alzheimer's because my grandfather died from Alzheimer's. I used to uh, take care of him on Monday nights when my grandmother would go to a support group. But I was always told and taught, you know, like, uh, well, that runs in families, so, you know, it probably runs in your family. You're going to have this. So I didn't realize it. It wasn't like a gripping type of fear that's going to just, like, make you stopped up in your room where you can't go anywhere or stuck in your house. But it was just an underlying thing where it's like, well... You know, better do stuff when you're young because you never know, your mind might go when you're old. Or, you know, don't take too much risk financially because you may not see any money like that again. So you better hold on tightly to it. You better grab hold. You better put it in an account and don't do anything with it. And, you know, as I look back now, I guess my mentality was more like the guy with the talents that buried it in the ground. Because I have this, I don't want to lose it. And he was proud when the master came. He said, look, I didn't lose anything. Everything you gave me, I still got. But Jesus called him wicked and lazy. And so when I got full of the Holy Ghost, then you start to get around people that are full of the Holy Ghost. And you learn when people are full of the Holy Spirit, they tend to start to believe in healing. They tend to start to believe in uh, hopefully the authority of the believer and a lot of other things that I was not aware of. I remember seeing people fall under the power, and that was new to me. And, of course, we read uh, a, an awesome example of people falling under the power of God this morning through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And uh, you can go through other examples. You know, uh, Kenneth Hagin has a book called Why Do People Fall Under the Power? And it's a really good book. It goes through in the New Testament where people fall under the power of God and why do they fall. And um, you know, basically when a supernatural force comes up in contact with a natural body, something's going to give, and uh, it's not the supernatural. So um, I didn't understand all of this, but then I, I, I started to see this, and that fear left. And instead of being in fear, it was like, all things are possible. And you read the scripture, with God, all things are possible. Keith Moore, uh, I think it was him, he got a song from the Lord uh, called No More Bondage, and that became one of my favorite songs. I don't have to be sick no more. He's from uh, the south, you know, I think he's from uh, Mississippi. He now lives in Arkansas and uh, Florida. And uh, so I don't have to be sick no more. I don't have to be poor no more. I don't have to be bound no more by anything. Yeah. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Because Jesus set you free and he set me free. We don't have to be bound any longer. We don't have to be bound by any type of fear. I mean, what happens? If you're born again and you die right now, what's the worst that could happen? You're in the presence of the Lord. You're in the presence of the Lord. But we don't have to be in fear um, of uh, ISIS. We don't have to be in fear of some, uh, I don't know what that is, that mosquito disease, uh, Zika, Zika, whatever, Zika, whatever. Um, All of these things because Jesus Christ set us free. And he set us free from fear and he set us free from all the power of the enemy. So what do we do? We just sit there and say, because Jesus set me free, I don't have to do anything. No, we stand in faith, and we trust God, and we latch on to God. And we say, if God be for me, who can be against me? And every time the devil brings an attack, you just counterattack. You talk trash to the devil. You say, oh yeah, well you did that? Look at what my Jesus did. I'm not trying to do this on my own. I'm not trying to do it from myself. I'm trying to do it from the victory of Jesus Christ. So what I want you to go away with today and what I want you to have register in your spirit and your heart today is that Jesus lived and then he died. He gained victory over the devil and then he rose again. But he didn't do it for himself. He did it for you and he did it for me so that we could stand in a position of authority and actually that we could be duplicates of him and live his life in the earth Enforce his victory and bring the kingdom of God The kingdom of God has come near you Jesus said So we are to be um, Carriers of the glory of God And carriers of the kingdom of God And we're to enforce the victory Of Jesus Christ So that means when you see something going on In your nation In your city, particularly our city Because um, we live here That you have authority in this city That other people don't, that don't live here don't have I have authority in my house that you don't have. You don't have authority to come and rearrange my furniture, although maybe you should (coughs) rearrange my furniture. But I don't have authority to come rearrange your furniture. Mm -hmm. But you have authority in your house. You say what happens, what doesn't happen. You're going to do that? No, you're not going to do that. If you have children, you better take your authority uh, because they'll try to run everything. And um, in your city, you have a position of authority. In Washington, D.C., and this metropolitan area, we have authority that other people don't have. I have a friend that pastors in Traverse City, Michigan. He has authority in Traverse City, Michigan that I do not have. And then if you're part of the body of Christ, uh, Jesus said that the government will be on his shoulders. So if you're born again, we are really to uphold the government. We're to stand. We're not to stand and look and just say, oh, what's happening? What's going on? I wonder why that's happening. You know, I've done that before. I've stood there and said, like, isn't that funny? My nose just got stuffed up. And I was fine just like 10 minutes ago. wonder why in the world that happened. Hmm. And then I go on about my day. What happens? Well, typically I start getting worse. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you you get this sickness. Um, uh, Was it Peter that said, resist the devil? And in the Greek it actually says, at his very onset. The second you realize. So I pray so many times, Lord. I plead the blood of Jesus that prevents deception and aborts every attempt of the enemy to deceive me. So there's a second... He does something. I see it and I recognize it. That way I can take authority over it. And um, I would say like this, let me, let me finish with this story. How many of you have heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Okay, I think everybody. So Smith Wigglesworth, remember that story where he's at the bus stop and he watches this lady with this little dog getting ready to get on the bus? And so she's waiting for the bus and her little pup is there and he's, you know, tagging along, tagging along and then the bus comes up and she's like, okay, uh, I'll call him Buddy, I don't remember his name, but okay, Buddy, go home. And the dog just <laughs> keeps coming, keep coming, and he, and she said, go home, go home, I got to go, I got to go. And and uh, he just kept coming. She goes to get on the bus, and she said, I said, go home. And Smith Wigglesworth did not miss a beat. He said, that's exactly how you have to do the devil. <laughs> so we have authority, but many times we're just like, uh, uh, stuffy knows you have to go in the name of Jesus. We just kind of take it lightly. We're just like, da, 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 da. Well, I guarantee you, if you have children and someone was coming um, to try and take one of your children, you're going to talk a little differently than that. Uh, Actually, I read a story a couple weeks ago in the news. Uh, It was at the Air and Space Museum here in Washington, D.C., and they had a group of school kids there, and they had chaperones. And these two men came in. They got them on the security cameras, so they uh, found them later. Uh, I don't know if they found them yet, actually, but they they had pictures of them later. And um, uh, these two men came in, and they grabbed the hands of a couple of kids and started to walk away with them. And the chaperones saw them and stopped them. But these men, who knows what they were going to do, but they were going to kidnap these children. Well, I guarantee, uh, see, Jesus delegated all of his authority to us. Those parents, actually, I don't know this for a fact, but when I've been involved in these type of things, they signed a permission slip, my child can go with you to such and such a place. And then those chaperones in the school ultimately has authority and responsibility. So I guarantee you those chaperones probably had something to say to those guys and grab and, you know, probably, I don't know. I don't know how they were, but I would have shoved them and, you know, I don't know. (laughs) But they had authority and they took that they said, no, you're not doing that. That's not your child. You know, and uh, you know, we have procedures even in our, with our children's area to where, you know, you, if you check the kid in, you have to check the kid out. Because sometimes you have broken families and people are trying to get custody. They're going to sneak into the church and try and steal their own kid back, you know. And so um, we have authority by Jesus Christ. But what happens most of the time is we uh, don't assume our position of authority. We don't take our position of authority. So when we look at the life of Christ and where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, he's in the position of all authority. Actually, the right hand denotes power and authority. And Jesus is seated in that position, but he's not there by himself. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, with him. So today, this week, as you go, as you encounter different things at your place of work, at your home, with your family, with relationships, Take your authority. Um, I was in um, preaching at a church. They were looking for a pastor about uh, five years ago in um, Michigan. Saginaw, Michigan. I forgot the name of the place. And I went up there probably, I don't know, eight, ten times preaching for them. And uh, uh, a couple times I went without my wife. And one time I went without my wife. And it was far enough that I would uh, spend the night sometimes at a hotel. So this time I spent the night at a hotel. And I was in the hotel lobby checking in. And... um, there was this family, and he had about three kids, and I don't know, it was kind of a hassle in their, you know, it was a Hampton or somewhere they have the breakfast area. And so at the breakfast area, this dad is talking to his kid that's probably like about the age of my son Isaac, so probably like six or seven years old, and he said, you are the stupidest kid I have ever seen. You have no brains. You need to like get straight and do all this type of stuff. Oh, man, it hurt my heart so bad. And before I knew what I was doing, I just stood there, and I said, uh, I take authority over that spirit that's influ- influencing that man in the name of Jesus. And um, so I finished. I had to go get my bag. I came back in. By the time I came back in, the dad was there with the son. He said, son, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have talked to you that way. I shouldn't have done that. You know, now, you can't take authority in someone else's life if they're not in your presence or they don't give you permission. Somebody gives you permission, you can. But I, uh, he was in my presence and that's why I told the Lord. I'm like, you know, he's in my presence, and this is grieving me. I'm not going to have this. So I got up the next morning before I went to church. They're down at breakfast. What's happening? You are the stupidest kid. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh because it's terrible, but he did the same thing. So I did the same thing, and he stopped right, like, right away. And so I felt bad for the kid. I prayed for him, you know what I mean, because he's living amongst that, because he doesn't always have somebody there to take that authority. But I just want to uh, um, give you that example that uh, you have authority and um, you need to take authority. And so the easiest thing to do is to watch. I mean, you've been in a supermarket where somebody's cussing the same thing. You say, I take authority over that in the name of uh, Jesus Christ. Actually, we were in, um, my wife and I had gone to Keith Moore's church and we were doing a little getaway and we were driving on the, on the road and it's kind of mountainous there and the Branson church he has. And um, this car had driven off the road and down this embankment and was turned upside down and smoking, and the lady was stuck in the car. So we raced down the hill to um, see if we can help. Well, oh, man, went, glass, glass windows are really hard to break. We couldn't break the window. And so somebody else drove up and he's like, I have a sledgehammer. So they went to get the sledgehammer. Well, the woman ended up, I guess, being drunk, and she was cussing up a storm and just freaking out, so much so that when we, were, we wanted to like bust the glass to get her out, she's there in the way, so we can't, we can't bust the glass, and the car is smoking and still running, and the tires are spinning, and I'm kind of like, oh my goodness, what's, what's going to happen here? And so I just got kind of upset at it, and all of a sudden, I remembered, take your authority. And so I said, I take authority over that spirit that's influencing that woman in the name of Jesus. And she calmed down, she quit cussing, and she crawled into the front seat. So we broke the uh, glass and got her out and got up the hill. And by that time, the fire trucks got there. And so we left because she was she was in good hands. But uh, we have authority. I know that we have not tapped into. And so, what concerns you and what concerns me, um, we need to take our authority. I was in um, Washington D.C. Uh, last uh, week before last, and um, uh, praying. And so as I was praying, I uh, was then coming out of the city, and I looked at the metro rail, and I I know now why, but at the moment I didn't. Like, something came over me like, you need to pray about the safety of the metro rail system. Do you know this is the exact day that that fire took place? And then I'm so thankful then that they shut the whole thing down and inspected it. And um, I'm not saying I'm the only one that prayed, but I believe I had a part in that not spreading further and them inspecting the whole thing. You know, and so for us that live here, you can be like, especially if you use it, well, that's very frustrating that they set my, shut my transportation system down. Well, it's uh, a lot more frustrating to have some of your kids or family or friends killed because of it. So all I'm saying is we're not going to have a deadly attack in Washington, D.C. for some terrorists. We're not going to have, like, all this stuff melt down if we take our position of authority. And I, for one, am taking my position of authority, and we're saying, you're not coming here, you're not doing that here. Because what's happening in uh, the re- the natural realm actually uh, is affected by the spiritual realm and the supernatural realm. And um, um, I'm getting into my next series on authority, so I, I can't really go too far. But I will mention one other thing concerning governments and stuff like that. You know, the Nixon administration, the Watergate scandal, all of that. Uh, Jesus actually told Brother Hagin that happened because the church didn't pray. And so, uh, and then... Uh, uh, You know, yeah, so there's lots of other stories like that that I don't have time to get into right now, but it's important that we look at the death, the burial, the resurrection and see ourselves there. When he died, he placed us where he was. He took our death so we could take his life, so we could live his life. So on this Resurrection Sunday, when we celebrate the life of Jesus Christ, don't limit it to thank God that the Son of God, the greatest man that ever lived, is alive forever, but Tap into the fact that now his life can flow through your veins and my veins, and if you're born again, it does. And if you're not born again today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you can have the life of Jesus Christ flowing in you and through you and affecting you. You can be set free from all the powers of the enemy. The devil wants you to believe a lie. He's a liar. He says it, that you've gone too far, you've done too much, that you can't possibly be good enough. Well, you're right. You can't be, he's right in one case. He, you possibly cannot be good enough, but Jesus died for the ungodly. If you're here this morning or you're listening online, I'd like you to slip up your hand or email us at info at and we'd love to pray with you and for you. If that's you this morning, just slip up your hand and we'll pray for you. If you're here this morning and you don't know um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, it changed my life. It will change your life. If you're here this morning and you'd like to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, just slip up, slip up your hand. I'll pray with you and for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For this day that you have made. Oh, Father, we're so glad this day of redemption, this day of salvation, this day of freedom. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to be sick anymore, that we don't have to be poor anymore, that we don't have to be bound anymore by anything because Jesus has set us free. I pray for each person under the sound of my voice that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and our inheritance in him, that light and revelation and understanding would flow as it's never flown before. Father, that we would see things that we've never seen before. Father, that we would each have a brand new Bible, that we would each open up your word and allow ourselves to listen to you and to receive from you. We yield to you. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name.